Is artificial intelligence something you want to use for your brand but are still trying to figure out how? Join us at the Digiday AI Marketing Summit in Santa Barbara, California from April 11th to 13th and see how brands and agencies are using this new technology for everything. Shifting media dollars, customer service, and content curation. For more information, visit digiday.com slash events. Hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Digiday producer Aditi Sango, and this episode is a session from the Digiday Publishing Summit. Digiday's Brian Morrissey talks to Catherine Power, CEO and co-founder of Click Media Group. She talks about approaching commerce as a media company. If you're interested in knowing more about what happened at our summits, you can get our event briefing from Digiday Plus. It's our new product offering in the Digiday Plus program, and you should join for a look into the big discussions that went on at every summit. To know more, visit digiday.com. For now, here's the session. For those who don't know, explain the Click Media story. Sure. It's a pretty fascinating. Sure. So, uh, Click Media is uh, a media and, and consumer brands company. So, I was about 12 years ago the West Coast editor of Elle magazine. And I was in my early 20s and I was spending all my time on the computer. You know, this was well before the iPhone and Facebook had just launched, but it was exclusive to college students. And I was so frustrated that I couldn't get magazine quality content uh, on the internet, which is where I was spending all of my time, and even more frustrated that I couldn't shop this content. Because if you remember, in a magazine, to find a, a product that you wanted to buy, you'd have to flip to the back of the book, you'd track down an 800 number, you'd call the corporate receptionist, and they'd have no idea what you were talking about. So with all of the new uh, e-commerce retailers popping up, we thought there must be a better way. So I teamed up with another uh, editor at L. And we sort of set off to reimagine the way that women like us would consume content and shop for fashion and beauty products online. And so we launched our business with our first brand, which is Who, What, Where, uh, as a daily updated newsletter that quickly turned into uh, a, a full website um, mm -hmm. with shoppable content. Um, and we really wanted to bring a very approachable voice to fashion. We felt like the uh, women's magazines at that time felt very exclusive. Um, and so we wanted to shake things up a bit. And we did. And from there, uh, you know, we, it, our growth took off very organically. We launched our uh, next brand in 2013, which is Birdie, our mm -hmm. beauty site, followed by My Domain and about three other content brands. Okay. Um, and you know, I think we were sort of different uh, back in the day. You know, building a media company uh, for females, all of our competitors were consolidating all of their traffic under one domain, while we were creating these very specific verticals with their own brand names. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that we did that was because we knew we wanted to go beyond media. So very early on, we thought, you know, it would be amazing if we could bring the Who, What, Where brand to life as apparel 
at that time, you know, we didn't have fast fashion in the U.S. It was um, just Target, really, that was bringing on-trend merchandise at affordable prices with mm -hmm. their designer collaborations. This so, was pre-H&M. Pre-H&M. Actually, okay. I think H&M was around, but they weren't a trend forward. They were okay. much more about basics. Um, Topshop only existed in Europe, so if you went to vacation right. there, you could you could shop at Topshop. But there was definitely something missing in content and in product. Mm -hmm. And you know, fast forward several years, we launched our first apparel brand with Target under the Who What Wear name. Uh, we launched that in February 2016. It's become a gigantic business uh, for them and for us. Um, and it's it's really a, a, a testament to this very unique formula that we've come up with when designing and then marketing the product. Okay. So, um, you know, through our content sites, we refer the sales of about 20,000 products per month to about 300 different retailers. So we're able to see, you know. And you make money off all those referrals. Most of them, Most yeah. Of them. Almost okay. every retailer now has an affiliate program. Mm -hmm. So um, we've been monetizing uh, the editorial content since we started. Um, but, you know. So content and commerce were part of it from the beginning. Very much part of our DNA. So yeah. we wanted to make our content shoppable. You get inspired, you should be able to make that transaction. Um, and so we have all of this data, not to mention, you know, what women are searching for at any given point in the year, um, whether that be on our own site or on Google. Um, we're scraping social media accounts to see what trends are bubbling up or, or conversations. Um, and all of that gets fed to our design team who, of course, has the ability to forecast uh, based on the fashion cycle, like any great design mm -hmm. team would. Um, and then as we create the product, we're actually engaging the consumer along the way. So we'll be in a design meeting and we'll show you know, three or four different prints on uh, Instagram stories. It used to be Snapchat, now it's Instagram stories. And we'll say, you know, which one do you like best? And before we leave the meeting, we have a few thousand responses that tells us which direction to go. So it's those type of, of things, as well as as we form new product lines. Uh, you know, we just launched our second one in October, an athletic wear line, and now we're getting into beauty. Um, you know, we're doing qualitative and quantitative research research, um, even informing the brands to begin with, down to the product names, the price points, all of that. So the company was originally, you, you bootstrapped it. You grew it with, Correct. with profits, the old-fashioned way. Yes, the old-fashioned way, which didn't become cool until about a year and a half ago. Right, and then it became <laughs> a lot cooler. Uh, but then you, got, you went the venture capital route. Correct. So yeah. we actually, um, you know, we launched our business in 2006. We probably would have raised our Series A in 08. It's when the economy crashed. So we thought, you know, we, we're, we were starting to make money at that point because really we were the only show in town for that sort of demo and that um, uh, focus. So it, even though the money was getting, the budgets were getting cut, if there was any digital money, we were getting it. So um, we said, let's use our profits to fuel mm -hmm. our growth. And we sort of trained ourselves to be incredibly scrappy and resourceful. 
And you know, we've raised very little money uh, throughout the years because of that, because we've been able to use our profits to kind of fuel our own growth. Mm-hmm. So how much did you raise? So we've raised just under $30 million. Um, we just did our, our Series C uh, last year. So we have you know, great venture partners like Graycroft, um, Lear Hippo. Uh, we have a strategics like Amazon, who is a big investor. Um, Bertelsmann Media has a fund, mm-hmm. BDMI. So those are, that's kind of our core group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then several other uh, VC funds. So was what they liked about the model, the commerce part, more than the content part? Well, I think, you know, our, our business has really evolved over time. I think initially it was a very fresh take on, um, on, you know, fashion and beauty content and frankly, a fresh take on monetization. So, you know, we did what's now called native content back in 2007 before mm-hmm. it had that name. So, you know, coming from print, I did advertorials. So it was very normal to me to say, okay, let's take something that looks like a content, let's have P&G sponsor it, and let's send it out to our users. So, you know, I think certainly within our, you know, core set of retail, luxury fashion, beauty advertisers, we held the hand through, you know, this whole transition to advertising Mm -hmm. digitally. So I think that was attractive to our investors as well as sort of the you know the marriage of content and commerce and then as as the business progressed um, and our growth was you know incredible considering we didn't spend any money on audience yeah um, you know I think that you know we were recognized for that and then as we started to build mm-hmm. these strong brands and each one of them got traction um, it, it sort of changed over time. Yeah. I want to take a quick break here and tell you about Digiday Plus. Digiday Plus is our premium membership product. Join our community to get a first-hand look at how digital is transforming the world of media. You'll get the Digiday magazine, exclusive research, and invites to exclusive member events. It's only $395 a year or $33 a month. Please sign up at digiday.com. And for you, our podcast listener, we have a discount. To get 25% off your subscription, enter the code PODCAST at checkout. Now, back to the episode. So what is the breakdown of media versus commerce? Like, how do you, how do you break down your sort of portfolio? So I think about it in two groups. So we have our media group, mm-hmm. which has, um, you know, about six different media brands that are monetized uh, through, you know, direct sales, programmatic um, experiences, so live events. And then um, we have our consumer brands group, and they're coming up with new original IP that has nothing to do with the media business, um, but they're using the media business data and the audience to inform those products. Um, And then occasionally we are leveraging the IP from the media business like we did with Who, What, Where. Mm -hmm. So we really have these two distinct groups that you know, work uh, together to kind of capitalize on the synergies that we have. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it evolves over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're building core competencies on both sides. Um, so is the media revenue more than the commerce revenue? The media revenue is still more than, okay. than commerce. Do you expect that to change? I, I expect it to change very soon. Okay. Um, so as time goes on, I think we'll see the consumer brands mm-hmm. media um, surpass... Uh, Uh, the consumer brand's revenue surpass media. Do you ever feel sometimes like you're operating two different companies? You know, because you, you must go and have just vastly different conversations when you're talking to the media yes. brand side, and then all of a sudden you're you're talking to consumer products. Absolutely, side. Um, 
and, and you know, it's interesting because we've got one business that's been around since 2006, and then this other almost venture stage business that's yeah. just staffing up and just growing. So, um, you know, I think the the excitement though is that everybody is a part of both businesses at our organization, um, and you know, we've even had people drift from one group to the other um, just in their, you know, as a career mm -hmm. path. So it's um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. But I, you know, I just hired. But do um, both sides need each other? And, and I guess like, why not just split off the cut because the margins are different. Like they just yeah. they, they really operate differently. They do. Um, for right now, we're actually um, using the businesses with each other on five touch points. So one is the IP. Mm -hmm. So leveraging some of the media IP to build brands. Number two is the insights, and probably the most important right now is the data that we're getting from that audience. You know, it is, it's a very specific audience too. Um, 80,000 of our Instagram followers on Who, What, Where have 2,000 followers or more themselves. So it's incredibly um, influential, this group of people who are, you know, we believe are able to forecast trends before the masses. So it gives us a really accurate um, uh, data stack. Mm -hmm. um, what, where were we? What you was were your question that I don't want to get to? You were to? going okay, through so, the, the ways So IP, points. data, um, our retail relationships, because most of our brands are launched in partnership with a retailer. And sometimes that even comes okay. from our relationships in the media business. So that, would, that gives you a foot in the door with a target or something like it that? It often does. Yeah, brand. it often might start with a conversation with a CMO that we're doing a deal with on the media side. Um, and then I think last, of course, we're, we're leveraging the platforms to market. Uh, to market the product back to the consumer. So mm -hmm. it's almost like, you know, recognizing or creating the demand, producing the product, putting out the product, and then reminding them that they want the product. Right. So explain the decision to, to be like a house of brands versus just um, going all in on who, what, where, for example. Yeah, I think we, we saw that greater enterprise value could be created through several distinct brands. And you know, all of our brands are expressed through either media, uh, consumer goods, or experiences. You know, We may have a brand that never lives as a consumer brand, and we have a consumer brand that may never live as a, a media brand. Mm -hmm. So uh, who's your competitor? Because your competitors are different on both sides of the business, right? Correct. So I think, you know, um, we are the amalgamation of two different companies, really, um, or two different businesses. I would say on the media side, you know, there are um, refinery, refinery bustle, bustle all of those. Yeah. On the consumer brand side, you know, we're really setting out to do something very different. We think about, you know, what if LVMH was to launch today, right, from scratch? Would the idea of luxury be different? Would they have online real estate instead of brick and mortar real estate? Yeah. Would they be super data driven? Would they use content to convert sales? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we're thinking about our brand portfolio. Yeah. But with, on the consumer product side, you sh you're still distributing through others, right? It's not we a are, DTC but, um, model. Our two current deals are exclusive to Target, but every brand will have a different business model. Okay, and what and is the plan for the beauty product? The beauty products will have uh, some direct-to-consumer, um, and then the other, and, and majority of the distribution will happen through uh, retail partners. Yeah, I mean, we were talking backstage, the beauty is a fascinating yeah. industry. Um, it's gigantic, and I think a lot of people don't pay enough attention. Yeah, to and I it. think 
Um, certainly in the investment community, um, you know, that's what everybody's looking for because I think there's such a clear path to an exit uh, with a beauty brand and you can just recognize that enterprise value so quickly. Yeah, thanks to our our glossy brand, I read a lot about uh, yeah. like sheet masks and, and yep. various other beauty <laughs> treatments on a regular basis. Um, I remember in, when the idea of content and commerce sort of came back. I mean, it, it had a yeah. it had a moment in the dot com yeah. era, but then it sort of came back in the mid two thousands. And and then it sort of there was this like cautionary tale of of Thrillist. So Thrillist uh -huh. was going to they had a media brand, they 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 added an e-commerce brand, and then they split them apart because right. they said these are two different companies. Right. So I think content and commerce is a super loose idea, yeah. and there are so many different models within that. So um, you know, with with Thrillist, they were actually they had two distinctly different businesses. One was an e-commerce only retailer that held inventory and acquired customers and fulfilled and did yeah. all of that. They had warehouses in Correct. Kentucky and stuff. Correct. Yeah. And then they had the media business, which was like any of our media businesses. Um, you know, I know that some publishers experimented with flash sales, and so that was called content and commerce uh, at a certain point. Um, and so I think there's there are so many different approaches to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Goop is another example that I think is doing really well under content and commerce. Um, their model is super different than our model. Um, so I think there are different kind of ways less content to and commerce. It's content and products, right? Correct. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, we drive uh, you know millions of dollars in content right. sales directly to retailers. So I consider it to be yes, commerce as well. And then ultimately, you know, we will have our own commerce sites. So any lessons uh, for publishers that are thinking about getting into the products? Side. I mean, we heard from Cliff and uh, yeah. things that they're planning on doing, and it's come up several times over the last couple of days. Yeah, I think um, you know we're seeing. Um, first of all, so fortunate and excited that we diversified into this business. You know, when we did, and I'm starting to see so many other publishers uh, look to do that. I think um, it's a common misconception that you can just take your brand and sort of slap it on something um, and create more like merch, right? Right. Um, I think there are two such strong components here. One is creating a brand that really resonates with people and that is targeted directly to a specific set of, of consumers. And then I think the other thing that's so often overlooked in this age of digital first consumers and social media marketing and how good can you get at buying customers for the right price is that you have to deliver on the product. Um, because at this point, your consumer is your greatest marketer. Mm -hmm. So if that product is not right, you will shoot yourself in the foot before you've even had an opportunity to make money. Right. Okay, want to open it up to questions? Why do you think most publishers have struggled so hard to turn their content into commerce? Because so many of them have these incredible relationships with their reader. They have an expertise in lots of different niches and yet they really, really struggle where you've seemed to make it work. So I'm just wondering what your yeah, thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I think reach is very different than having a strong connection with, with your reader. And I think, you know, certainly in our competitive set, we've seen a lot of um, publishers who are 
really prioritizing you know, media monetization, which is great. They're a media company. Um, and to do that, you really have to go for scale and therefore, frankly, dilute the audience and maybe don't even have the audience with the right intent. Um, you know, a lot of uh, quick traffic is, is driven from you know, answering a quick question or a really grabby, you know, clickable headline that is not even you know, backed up by a purchase. So I think you know, for us, it was about creating this connection with the retailer or with the uh, reader that was strictly about discovering and purchasing products from day one that has really helped us. Why do you think big publishing groups like Condé Nast didn't do this instead of you? I don't know. Um, you know, I think they were making a lot of money in publishing and a lot of profits, and maybe you know didn't realize that this was an option until uh, you know now. But um, I know that a lot of them did licensing deals throughout the years. Vogue did Vogue Eyewear. Um, Elle did a couple of things like that. But again, I think that was, you know, those are more mer merch plays, right? Mm -hmm. Versus actually, you know, creating the, the, the products yourself for, an act, for a real reason. Okay, last, last thing I want to yeah. ask you on the fashion side. What, what's one big trend that everyone should be looking for in fashion? Ooh, you know, that you're seeing in the data for for years. It Other was, than gold sneakers, gold sneakers. That's correct. Um, <laughs> so we've seen a huge swing back to really small sunglasses. That's one thing that's okay. on the top of my mind. So for years it was all about these Big. huge dark glasses, and now I, I think it was maybe even on an episode of the Kardashians, <laughs> Kanye told Kim, "You cannot wear big glasses anymore," and that's okay. certainly what we're seeing. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. No problem. Okay. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, please share it forward. How you can do that is by leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And now we're also on anchor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you soon with another session.